Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Ben Heath, and we're going to explore Facebook ad strategy, and you're going to love it. If you need a strategy for your Facebook ads, this is the episode for you. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram, and if you're on Clubhouse, be sure to follow the Social Media Examiner Club every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can join me live with my special guests, and you can raise your hand, and you can come up and talk to me live. And also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow us. I got to get used to unsaying subscribe. Follow is now the new vernacular. Follow us on your favorite podcast listener app. By the way, do you feel like your email marketing is stuck in the dark ages? Do you feel handcuffed to your existing email service provider? Do you believe deep down there's a gold mine waiting to be tapped inside your customer email list? What if you could easily integrate all of your customer order data and the pages people visit into one central and powerful system? Imagine being able to set automated triggers that are based on the actions people take on your website. This is the power of Drip, the email platform that Social Media Examiner uses and loves. Not only does Drip track order data and the pages people view, it also provides sophisticated rules and workflow automations that make it super easy to come up with creative ways to market and sell. Want to target customers differently than prospects who visit one of your products? With Drip, it's easy. Want to trigger a new customer onboarding sequence? Super simple. Want to easily offboard people off your list who are not opening their emails? Again, it's really easy with Drip. Drip's custom events, tags, custom fields, segmenting, rules, and workflows all combine to offer you the most sophisticated email marketing platform available. And that's why Social Media Examiner is a long-standing customer. Visit drip.com slash SME and start your free 60-day trial. You'll also find a free guide that shows you what's possible with Drip and e-commerce. You support this show by checking out our sponsors. All right, let's now transition over this week's interview with Ben Heath. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Ben Heath. If you don't know who Ben is, he is a Facebook ads expert and the CEO of Lead Guru, an agency that helps small businesses generate leads and sales with Facebook and Instagram ads. His course is called Facebook Ads Insiders, 
and his Facebook group is called Facebook Ads Mastermind Group. Hey, Ben, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to share some stuff. I'm very excited to have you here. Today, Ben and I are going to explore a simple strategy that will help you plan your Facebook ads. Now, before we go there, I would love to hear your story, Ben. How in the world did you get into ads? Start wherever you want to start. I got into digital marketing in general, kind of through necessity, really. Um, and just sort of explain how, how I got there. So before I went to university, I worked for um, a mailbox, et cetera, just sort of, you know, earning a bit of, bit of side money as you do when you're that age. And the owner of that franchise, he had a side business where he would sell various things online, mainly via Amazon and, and eBay. And he'd get me to help him out with packing and sending the, the parcels to people and things like that. And I found that so fascinating. I thought it was so cool that you could just start a little side business, sell stuff online. So then when I went to university, I always had side projects going where I'd have little businesses trying to sell stuff. Well, it, it, people who have been down that path, and I've spoken to many that have done the same as me, you quickly realize I've no idea how to actually convince people to buy my stuff. And that's sort of how I got into marketing initially is I went, right, I've got all these things I want to sell. I've no idea how to market it. So I went down the rabbit hole on like, you know, learning the technical skills, the right. techniques. That time it was all Google ads. And um, this is sort of pre Facebook, at least in, in its form that it is today. Um, so consumed a lot of that sort of content, tested a load of things. The classic story of loads didn't work. Some did work a little bit. Um, but I really sort of got the bug for being an entrepreneur, being a marketer, and really fell in love with it. And actually, as part of my university course, we had to do a six-month placement. And I went and did that at an oil and gas company and just absolutely hated every minute of it. And that completely changed my path. You know, I was sort of going to go down the corporate route like a lot of my friends have, big companies. I went, no, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a marketer. So I actually dropped out of university, um, which was difficult conversations all around with parents and, and things <laughs> right, like that, as you right. can imagine. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, you know, right, my massive success is just around the corner. Very naively. It wasn't at all. I struggled very much in those early years. What year was that, by the way? What year was that you dropped out and you decided you're going to go be an entrepreneur? That would be 2012. So okay. that's yeah, nine years ago now is what I decided. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, you know, had a little bit of Google ads knowledge, just enough to be dangerous, you know, not enough to, to know what I was doing and trying to sell all sorts of things. And at the time when I was sort of floundering, my mum had a interior design business. She still actually has an interior design business. And she said she was struggling to get clients. She said, well, you know the stuff you're learning. Can you run a you know, campaign for my business? So I said, oh, sure. Okay, I can do that. Ran a few campaigns for her and it worked fantastically well, really, really well. And um, for actually reasons I'm going to get into later, that sort of business is just so well geared up for online advertising. After a bit of while of doing that, mum said, well, why don't you come you know, work with me for, for a little bit? whilst you work out what you're going to do. I thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So went and did that, worked with her for a, for a few years. Alongside that, started to take on, you know, clients on the side, figured I had a skill set now, knew how to run Google ad campaigns, worked for my mom's business, surely it's going to work for other people, and it did. And then it was probably maybe seven years ago, something like that, seven, eight years ago, I ran my first Facebook ad campaign. And it was in all the podcasts and the blogs and all that sort of stuff. I really wanted to test it out. And my results were just, you know, three times better than what I was getting with Google ads at the time. And I was immediately like, right, I'm going to specialize in this platform. The results are amazing. And um, so did that, took on a bunch of clients. And then just over five years ago, February 2016, I uh, launched my Facebook ads agency, specialist Facebook ads agency. And, uh, and that's what I've been doing since. So uh, a bit of a long winded answer to your question, but that's, uh, that's my story. No, that's amazing. So today, who are you serving? Like, what's your specialty now? 
I mean, Facebook ads, obviously, and, and like, who's your ideal customer? We have a pretty broad range within my agency of clients. They sort of run the mill on e-commerce businesses, local service providers. I wouldn't say we have a specific niche that we work with. And that actually probably informs a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about today around strategy, actually. So, so pretty broad. We're specialized on that platform. We don't do anything on other platforms. But within that, a lot of small, small businesses getting towards medium size, but across lots of industries. Excellent. Awesome story. A lot of people can relate to, Sure, you know, maybe starting to work for uh, the parents business and then eventually realizing that college degree in this industry, at least isn't going to help you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, even today, it's hard to get a degree. Like uh, my oldest daughter is in college and, you know, and she's telling me about some of the stuff she's learning and it's ridiculously out of date. You know, they're learning yeah. about advertising stuff that has absolutely no bearing on the online world. And it's just really funny. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was I was like I, say, I was doing a business degree, you know, University of Bath, really well thought of university here in the UK and yeah, it was like this stuff is not what I want to learn for sure. And, well, and as you say parents business is is fantastic place to learn, right? Cuz yeah. you can make mistakes and you're not in as much trouble. So it was it was a great start for me to have that setup. And shout out to all the professors listening. Uh, we know you listen and thank you for listening because <laughs> you got to keep your students up to speed. Yes. So to uh the people listening right now, you know, we're recording this in the end of April, literally the week that iOS 14.5 drops. Okay. <laughs> yes. And the week that uh, a lot of marketers say the world is beginning to change, right? Because of privacy restrictions and, and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of marketers are wondering whether or not Facebook ads should be part of their strategy. So what do you want to say? You don't have to touch on the iOS 14 thing, but in light of the changing world that we're in right now, why ought marketers consider Facebook ads? What do you want to say to them? Yeah, it's a really good question. And there's no denying that the Facebook ads industry is hurting at the moment. Like things aren't as rosy for us right now as they were, say, 12 months ago. With iOS 14, as you say, right now, it's biggest changes that happened to this specific industry in, in, in a while. And I think that we don't yet know the full ramifications of what's going to happen with these changes. What's the impact going to be? But if we can say that, you know, if I were to estimate that we might see a a reduction in effectiveness of Facebook ads to the order of, say, 20%. That might be reasonable if we go with that as an option. What I think I would come back to people that would potentially be looking to move away from the platform or not wanting to get involved is, what's the alternative? So there are, of course, lots of alternatives that you could be marketing on, but are they going to provide you as good a result as even a Facebook ads that's perhaps 20% less effective than it used to be? I know that for a lot of our clients, the answer to that question is going to be no. Uh, a lot of our clients run ads on other platforms, and even Facebook ads slightly impaired is going to outperform those often by a long way. And People are still on Facebook and Instagram all the time. The ability to reach people as frequently as you can, to scale to as large audience as you can, the ad platform itself with the specificity of targeting, I think is still going to outcompete a lot of the other platforms, a lot of the other, other advertising platforms. But, you know, there's no doubt that things are, are tricky right now. It's certainly not ideal. It's not what any of us want. But I still think it's going to be a very good option for a lot of marketers and at least something that should be tested and as part of an overall digital marketing strategy. Well, and I might argue that a strategy now is more important than ever, right? Because yeah. so many marketers just advertise with no strategy and they're just going to probably eventually like scratch their head and not understand why things are or are not working because they've just been doing what they've been doing for the longest time. 
throwing money, if you will, at a problem that they have, which is customer acquisition, right? Or lead generation. So what we're going to talk about today is an ad strategy that I think hopefully will help a lot of marketers get wiser about what they do with their Facebook ads. So let's transition into that. At a very high level, why don't you introduce the elements of your strategy? Yeah, I, I think just quickly, you're, you're spot on. The control that people have as a marketer, as a Facebook advertiser, and the impact they can make from what they do is always going to have a much bigger impact than any industry shifts like with iOS 14 and things like that. So that's definitely worth mentioning that it's not all doom and gloom and people have a lot of control over their results. To get into what, are, what we're going to talk about in terms of Facebook ad strategies, I want to talk about four different strategies. And I think what's really important when it comes to assessing strategy for Facebook advertising, working out what you want to use, is a lot of Facebook advertisers fall into the trap of hearing about something and thinking, oh, that sounded great. It delivered fantastic results for you know, some expert talking about it or perhaps someone they know. And they haven't assessed whether or not it'll work for them and their business. And with Facebook advertising, there is no one size fits all. You can't just have one strategy that works for all different types of business. You need the right strategy for your business. I mean, if I give a, a sort of an exaggerated example, if you offer a $30 product or a $50,000 service, those two businesses need to use very different strategies because the customer acquisition journey is very different, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's an exaggerated example. But within that, there are lots of differences that you need to think about when it comes to okay, is that going to work for my business, for my products and services? Yes, no. And that's what I really want to discuss because I think that's that's one most important thing. Most people get really excited about Facebook advertising. They hear about a tactic. They hear about dynamic creative or, you know, carousel ads or whatever it is. And they want to jump in and, and jump in those things. And if you don't set a strategy first, you're, you're often going to miss out. So yeah, so on the, the four strategies, there's basically two major components, two factors that determine which one you want to use. One of them is average customer value. And the other one is the level of competition on, on Facebook and Instagram. So those are the, the two main factors that determine where you fit in terms of which of the four strategies you want to use. So talk to me about these two and why these two are so important. Yeah, sure. This is a topic that, that fascinates me because as an agency, as I said, the, the fact that we don't have a particular industry that we work with in terms of clients. We work with clients across different industries. We've really had to work this out because we had our strategies that worked. And you realize, okay, well, that doesn't work for that business. So we had to try and work out what the two, the two factors are and, and why they're important. If I talk about, yeah, average customer value first, I think that's a good place to start. Well, before we dig too deep. Yeah, sure. So I just am curious why you chose these two, right? Because you could have chose any number of things to focus on. And I think it's fascinating. Like, I think average customer value makes intuitive sense, but the level of competition, why did you choose that one? I'm just curious before, because I know we're going to get into the weeds on it, but yeah, yeah. why did you decide that was the second tenant, if you will, that you wanted to group together with the value of the customer? It's a very good question. And I think it's because Facebook and Instagram advertising is interruption advertising, um, you need to stand out from the competition always how easy that is or what you need to do to stand out from the competition is affected massively by how much competition there actually is. So there are definitely certain businesses that will be advertising to audiences on Facebook that are being bombarded with their competitors' ads all day long. And there are businesses that, that aren't really. And we saw that trying to get results for clients massively, that we'd use some tactics in low competition businesses and work really well. The same ones in high competition wouldn't work well at all. So that's sort of how we got there. 
So there are four different strategies. I would imagine if we would have to create like a, a box, right? And yep. like, tell us what the size of the boxes would be just so we can visualize it in our head. Yeah. So one side, you've got average customer value. So one axis. So if you just think of low and high, you know, as, as being the two categories there. And then on the other side, you've got competition. And again, if you do low and high um, on that other side, and that gives you the, the four options. Perfect. Okay. Let's start with customer Average customer value. What what do we need to know about that? Tell us, talk to us some more about that. Yeah, so average customer value, I think, is definitely underappreciated in digital marketing circles. I think it can border into the numbersy aspect that a lot of marketers sort of intuitively don't like often, and they want to focus more on the creative side of things. But it's such an important thing to focus on. The higher your average customer value, the more you can afford to pay to acquire a customer, and that is critical and really affects your Facebook advertising. It also, and this is probably a a factor that's less talked about with average customer value, it affects the volume. So if you have a business that has relatively low average customer value, your customers don't typically spend a lot with you, you need a much higher volume of customers, which affects how you advertise. Um, And then obviously, likewise, if you've got really high average customer value. So average customer value is very, very important. I think there are some things within that that people need to sort of watch out for. One of the things is, is definitely the time range that you measure that over, okay? So people often talk about the initial customer value. So what are people spending with you that first transaction? Or they talk about lifetime. I'm not a big fan of either. I think initial doesn't take into account any repeat business. And lifetime is just too vague. You can't really visualize it. I like a 12-month average customer value. That's what I'd be looking to measure as the metric here. Okay, crazy question. Yeah. How does one go about discerning what the 12-month is because it's not as easy sometimes as it sounds depending on the tools that you're using i would imagine right like do you have any simple way of calculating this yeah you're you're spot on some businesses will have software crms in place that allow you to calculate this this fairly easily in which case great for those that don't i think often it comes down to an educated guess to some extent basically you, you gather the data that you've got so if we're doing this this exercise with a client we gather the data that we've got and we will go with that data and use whatever that works out of if i take an example of like a hair salon for example you know if you know that your average customer spends let's say 50 dollars every time they come in with you okay how often are they realistically coming in you you might know that intuitively even if you don't have the exact data to hand you might know that people come in every every month let's say on average mm-hmm. therefore you know 50 times 12 you get 600 Perfect. so it, it would be that sort of process it's not exact but I think you can get close enough to do this exercise. Okay, cool. So once we have like that 12 month horizon and, you know, some businesses listening right now have, you know, recurring customers or subscription customers, others are selling one-off products. So you all know what, you know, and for the one-off products, I would imagine then there's a question of what other products do they buy, right? Do you have upsells, cross sells, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So once we've got that time range, what else do we need to be thinking about specifically when it comes to customer value, average customer value? Yeah. So make sure that you factor in your profitability. So there's no point making this average customer value measurement based on revenue if you only operate with, say, a 10% profit margin. So you need to definitely factor that in. It's the profit per customer that's going to be important into this calculation. If you've got really high cost of goods or very expensive to provide the service, for example, you definitely need to factor that in. And then the other thing I would mention around your customer value is realizing that you have more control over it than you probably think you do. I mean, you already mentioned it with upsells and cross-sells, but also referral programs, really encouraging word of mouth, delivering a fantastic customer service. There's often things you can do to increase your average customer value, which is 
definitely a worthwhile task. So profit margin. I mean, let's talk about this for a second because I think that, you know, a lot of people talk about ROAS, right? Return on ad spend and stuff, but they don't ever think about is return really profit or is that just gross revenue, right? Like I think this is where a lot of marketers get in trouble is they look at how much money they're bringing in at the top line. But once they subtract out the advertising costs, the labor costs, right? If they're working with an agency, there's in-house employees. I mean, like the profitability is almost always substantially less, right? Unless it's a software product, right? Yeah. So are there red flags that go up if the product doesn't have a lot of volume and it doesn't have a lot of profitability? I mean, I guess that's really the question, isn't it? Yeah. So, in, so when we're talking about average customer value, if we basically focus on the on the profit number and completely discount revenue. So, if I go back to that hair salon example, I don't know, profit per user might be per customer might be fifty percent on each visit. Right. I, I have no idea about that industry, but take that example. Therefore, in this calculation, my average customer value over that 12 month period would not be the 600, it would be the 300, Got it. Uh, $300. So that's how I would, I would think about it. Are there red flags? So for, for me as a Facebook advertiser, absolutely. You want that profit to be as large as possible on costs external to your advertising costs before you then add those in. It's not necessarily so much about percentage and more about the real number because the cost of acquiring a customer, whilst it's going to vary, won't necessarily vary as much as the value of that customer. So if someone says, oh, I only make a 10% profit margin, but they sell a $5,000 product, that's less scary than someone who makes a 25% profit margin, but on a much smaller amount, if, if that makes sense. Or they're making a 4% profit, but they're in real estate and they're selling million dollar houses, right? Precisely. Perfect example. Yeah. Cause that's actually a radical big number, right? When you think about exactly. how, much, how much they're making yeah. on that, right? Yeah. So the, so the real number there is often a lot more important than the percentage. Right. Okay. So anything else we need to know about average customer value of, that we didn't talk about, which is we need to know a time range. You recommend one year. Yeah. We need to know the general profitability and, and zoom in more on the profit number than the, the gross revenue number. Yeah. And Also, we might be underestimating the true value of the customer because we can generate more money from existing customers through like the salon example, selling shampoo, right? When you're in the salon or whatever, right? Or conditioner or uh, coloring for the hair, right? And all these things, right? That are upsells or whatever, right? Those are all things that could generate more revenue from an existing customer. So that's a way that you could get that profit margin up in a low profit environment. So you could do something like we're proposing here is what I'm hearing you say. Is that right? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Also, in that example, uh, referral programs, you know, your next cut will be 50% off if you bring a friend. Those sorts of things can make a big difference as well. Okay. So let's talk about the competition side of things. Because um, I think a lot of people intuitively understand what we just spoke about, about the average customer value. But yeah. maybe the competition side of things, they're clueless or they think there's no competition or they think there's lots of competition. But what do we need to know about that? Because I would imagine that's going to be a fascinating dialogue for a lot of people. Yes. I think the the best example of this taken to the extreme is a lot of dropshippers. So a lot of dropshipping businesses, you know, they're selling something that they're getting in and there are hundreds, if not thousands of people selling the exact same product. And I've sort of taken a look at feeds where you just see 
literally the same product from different advertisers. You want to tell people what dropshipping is just in case they don't know what it means? Sure. So dropshipping refer to not actually taking hold of the stock yourself. You're selling the product and then it's being shipped directly from the manufacturer or the distributor or whatever. Yeah. You're just kind of a reseller, but without inventory, yeah. right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you're saying there's a lot of competition in that space. Tons of competition because often there's not going to be an exclusive deal with the dropshipper. It's going to be, there, there might be hundreds, if not thousands of people literally selling the exact same product mm. just under a different brand name. So that would be a, a very extreme example of a huge amount of competition. But I think the way Facebook and Instagram has, has matured as ad platforms, um, the way I often think about competition is it, it mirrors the geography. So if you advertise a product or service that you deliver locally and can only really be delivered locally, you have low competition much, much less than if you advertise a product or service that can be delivered nationally or internationally. That's the easiest way to draw the line between the two. And by the way, not just internationally, but if it's an online product, I would imagine, you know, like uh, courses, right? I mean, there's a bazillion exactly. courses that are out there right now. And it yeah. could be from anyone in the world, like Facebook ads courses. I would imagine you have a lot of competitors or agencies, Correct. right? Agency is yeah. another example. There's a bazillion agencies. They don't care where the client's located. Like you're in the UK, you have clients, I'm sure in America, it doesn't really matter. Yep. And you're competing with all the American agencies and there's hundred thousand, I'm sure. Yeah. But you're saying with the local business, like if you were an agency that just serviced the United Kingdom, right, then you yeah. would have less competition, right? Because you would have that specialty. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Or is it more like the local restaurant you're referring to? It's more like the local restaurant. I'll tell you why. Because even if I only choose to limit my market to the UK, my potential customers can still work with anyone from all over the world effectively. Good point. It's what your customers can choose. What competition can they choose to work with, purchase from? So if you have a local business like a restaurant, it's a perfect example. Let's say you're a Chinese restaurant in your town. Okay, well, how many other Chinese restaurants are there in your town? There might be none. There might be a handful. And then within those, how many are actually advertising on Facebook and Instagram? You're going to end up with an infinitesimally small number in comparison to, as you say, the 100,000 Facebook ad agencies there are, or the, I'm sure there's 100,000 people selling jewelry on Facebook and Instagram and all sorts of things like that. Good point. And, but if you compete with all the restaurants in your area, there still might appear to be a lot of competition because there might be a hundred restaurants in your town, but they're not all on Facebook is what I'm hearing you say, right? They're not all on Facebook. And even if they were, a hundred is tiny in comparison to the, you know, the, the e-commerce businesses that will literally be competing with 50,000 advertisers selling apparel, for example. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the number is larger than that of people selling, say, shoes in the US on, on Facebook and Instagram. It's going to be a massive, massive number. So what about people that are selling products online that are uniquely theirs and they're going direct, right? They're not working through Amazon. They're just selling direct to consumer. How would you consider that low competition or high competition? High competition. Yeah. If you're selling products that can be, even though you've been able to gather up your specific slice and your segment of the market, and, and that's what you're focusing on, the competition is on the platform, Facebook and Instagram for those same users from probably thousands of other advertisers. Right. So let's just say you're selling sports equipment or whatever, right? Um, yep. And even if you have a unique piece of sports equipment, you're competing against all the other people that make sports equipment that are targeting athletes, I would imagine. Correct. Right? Exactly that. Exactly that. Whereas if we say the Chinese restaurant as an example, or even restaurants in that town, the people who live in that town aren't going to drive, you know, two hours to the next town. They, they only have those restaurants to go to for the most part. Okay. So what else do we need to know about competition when it comes to Facebook? 
Yeah. So within that, I've probably simplified it a little bit to, to make it, you know, e- easy to comprehend between the the local and, and, and the national or international. But obviously, it's a sliding scale. If you are a lawyer in New York, I imagine even though you might only operate within New York and that's fairly local, there's still a huge amount of competition there. So let's just be aware that within that there is a sliding scale and people fit on different points on the map. It's important to break it down so you can actually use this in a way that you can implement based on the on the strategies I'll get, I'll get to in a bit. How do we know whether our competition is on Facebook or not? Yes, yeah, so there's a tool called the Facebook Ad Library. It's a free tool that Facebook provide. Um, and it's well worth if you're either advertising on Facebook or thinking about it, spending a bit of time with this tool. And basically what you can do is you can grab the easiest way is to research a bunch of competitors. You may already know their names, find their Facebook pages pop the link to their Facebook page into the Facebook ad library and Facebook will tell you whether they're advertising or not, how many ads they're running, exactly what their ads look like. It's a really fantastic tool to use. What if we're targeting a broader industry and we don't know who our competition is? Is there any other kind of research that you might recommend? Because I don't think the ads library lets you search by topic. You have to know the specific Facebook page. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes, you do now. They used to be have more uh, flexibility on that. But yes, you do need to be quite specific now. Is there other research I'd do? To be honest, there probably is. But when we're making this assessment, we're not going to go through that. We are just going to go, right. are you local or are you not? And that's going to be our determining factor if, if we don't have other information to contradict that. Got it. So if you're local, then you're going to be low competition. Uh, yeah. What if you're super niche? Because there's some people listening right now that sell information products that are extremely niche. Like, let's just take like ADHD specialists or let's yeah. take some sort of really narrow specialty. Um, would that be considered broad or would that be considered narrow, I guess, to use, you know, what's your thought? Yeah, no, it, it, it's a good question. I think that's what gets it. That's why I wanted to mention the, the sort of sliding scale here. And, and we've categorized local versus national. But in that case, I would treat that like a like a low competition business. And that's why I have low competition as opposed to calling it local or national, because there are exceptions, just like what you mentioned, like the lawyer in New York is going to be high competition and a business like that, that there may only be, you know, a handful of companies offering something similar, that's going to be low competition, even though they can sell nationally or internationally. Those would be the sort of exceptions to the the local national rule. I would imagine you could just do a search on Facebook for pages that are somehow related to your topic, right? And then you'll discover, like, for example, the ADHD example, you'll discover a whole bunch of stuff and then you can go into the ads library and see if they're running ads, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would certainly be a a technique that would work. A lot of the higher competition industries have, I mean, just enormous amounts of of competition, thousands and thousands of advertisers in the space. You probably get a a sense of that pretty quickly without having to check every, you know, (laughs) it would probably take too long to to go through and check each one, you know, but, um, but yeah. Let's now share some examples of how the strategy varies based on where you fall inside the grid. Yeah, perfect. That sounds like a good plan. So if I start with low competition, low average customer value as an example. So this would be things, as we mentioned, like restaurants, hair salons, local shops, those sorts of businesses. The two factors that we've talked about really dictate how you need to advertise on Facebook and the strategy you want to use. So the first thing to take note of is that you don't really need to stand out a huge amount. There's nothing you need to do crazy um, ad creative or something out of the box or very different. Often putting your business or your offer, your product, your service in front of people is enough for them to go, oh yeah, there is that Chinese restaurant down the road. We haven't been in ages. Let's uh, let's go and go check that out. That's the first thing I would say is the lower the competition, the less 
how would I call it? The less strange is probably a good way to say it. You need to be the less different you need to be on the platform itself. Okay. So from the strategy perspective, would that just be a matter of just kind of, for lack of better words, branding campaigns where you just kind of put some ads out there to just remind people or coupons or something? I don't know. I mean, like, what would you do in that kind of an ad strategy? I know you don't have to do a lot because you have very low competition, but what ought you do there, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. I would usually run something similar to that. Reach objective would typically be what I'd use on the platform as opposed to brand awareness, but it's going to function in a similar way. That would be the campaign type that I'd use, but there would be sort of two aspects to it. I think with businesses like that, instead of having a consistent budget that you consistently spend over, let's say, the next two years where you spend the same amount on Facebook and Instagram ads every month, which how a lot of businesses like to operate, but that's not how you're going to see the best results with those sorts of businesses um, on Facebook and Instagram. I'd recommend you take the vast majority of your budget, say 80% of it, and spend that over a three to six month period. And what you're looking to do with businesses like this is really drum up tons of interest, get your restaurant, your hair salon, whatever it is, as busy as it possibly can be, and really, really focus on delivering a fantastic customer service. And what you need to do is you need to deliver a good enough experience to your customer that they want to come back in again and again and again, and they want to recommend it to other local people, friends, family, things like that. And the reason why that's such an important component of it is because you're unlikely to be profitable on that first transaction. It might cost you more to get someone into your restaurant than you actually make from that person, especially when you factor in your costs. So what I'm hearing you say is use your ads to, for lack of better words, for a lost leader to get someone into the store or the experience give them an amazing service experience so that they would naturally want to talk to other people about it, whether it's on or off the social platforms. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Correct. Yeah. And also that they come back themselves because if it's a restaurant or something like that, these are often businesses where people will go back regularly. And do you turn some of those testimonials into ads and stuff like that as well? Correct. Yeah, exactly. So the first stage is that sort of front loaded direct offer campaign where you're getting as many people in as possible. And then what we'd run after that, after that first three to six months is what I'd call a re-engagement campaign. So it would be um, perhaps if you're going to run a special promotion around a holiday or something on a much smaller budget to remind your local area often or your target market at least that they should be coming back in every now and then just reminding that we're there as opposed to going out and aggressively trying to acquire customers. You want to do that at the beginning. Perfect. Okay. What's the next example you want to talk about in the next category, if you will? Sure. One thing I want to quickly mention on on, on the previous strategy, because I think that's an important point. If you try and keep that higher budget that I recommend for the first three to six months for longer than that, your results will drop off anyway. That's why I recommend scaling the budget back down. And that's because you often saturate your market when you've got often local businesses and, and small population to advertise to. Just wanted to get that point in there before we uh, before we moved on. And I would imagine you don't have to spend a lot of money since you're in a low competition space here, right? I mean, you could spend very minimal amount of money, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Low competition industries, almost by definition, often have relatively small target markets because if they had a massive target market, there'd be tons of competitors going after them. So, so yeah, so that very often happens that way. Okay, cool. What's the next section you want to talk about in your, you have the four? Sure. So the next one is high average customer value, low competition. So these are often, again, local businesses, but the customers are worth a lot more. So instead of it being, I don't know, $80, $100 at a restaurant, it might be $10,000 average customer value for a roofer. Or if I go back to my mum's business, an interior design company, I think mm-hmm. the average customer value is something like $50,000. So these are very high, well, in that case, it's a very high average customer value, but the high average customer value changes everything. You don't have to run your campaigns like a, a loss leader 
like you potentially do with the um, first one we talked about. You can generate very, very healthy profits on the customers acquired. And with these businesses, this is the easiest section, the easiest category to do really well with and produce incredible numbers. Because let's take the example of a roofer. If your average customer is worth $10,000, you might be able to generate leads for $40, $50 each. That wouldn't be unreasonable. Um, let's say you convert one in five, $250 is your customer acquisition cost, and you've got $10,000 revenue. Obviously, you've got cost to deduct out of that, but it's still going to be very, very profitable. Right. So with these businesses, it's as close to a set it and forget it setup as you're going to get with Facebook and Instagram ads. You often want to advertise something like a free consultation, free survey, something that allows the potential customers to ease their way in, find out a bit more, because it's often quite a commitment, hence the higher average average customer value. You can directly advertise that. You can use a lead generation campaign or do the same with a conversions campaign, but generate the leads via your website. Those campaigns are often really good. They're fairly straightforward and you up and down the budget often according to capacity. Well, and the advantage here is they've got the margin inside their product to be able to spend more and therefore they're going to get more exposure right? In the local marketplace? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely afford to spend more. I mean, in that example I just gave with the roofer, with, you know, the, the numbers I just gave, it's still costing you $250 to acquire a customer. Now, many businesses wouldn't be able to pay anywhere near that. But in that case, they can very easily afford to pay that. So it's a, it's a massive competitive advantage. Okay, cool. What's the next category you want to talk about? Sure. Next one is high competition, low average customer value. So this is going to be your, your physical product companies, often e-commerce businesses, probably the largest category within Facebook advertising, at least maybe on, a, on an ad spend, if not a, a per advertiser basis. This is probably the hardest strategy, the hardest type of business to generate fantastic results on Facebook and Instagram. There's high competition, so you need to do a lot to stand out. That's really, really important. As I said, there may, if you're selling jewelry or shoes or something like that, there will be thousands of people advertising similar stuff. So that's the first thing to keep in mind is there's, there's a ton of competition you need to stand out. And what I would recommend around, actually, before I get into that, so you need to stand out with the high competition, but also you can't afford to spend tons because your customers aren't worth a huge amount to you. If you're selling shoes, you know, your customers aren't spending thousands of, of dollars with you for the most part. So you need to be much more strategic and approach things differently. And what I'd recommend with those businesses is that they don't try and make a profit on that initial transaction, kind of similar to the first one we talked about, but a little bit different in that I would aim for break even, and I can I can almost hear you know people on the other end of this sort of going, what aim for break even, not make any money, aim for break even on that initial transaction, and be very aggressive with customer acquisition. So if I'm working with a client in this space, and we have lots in this space, I would say, look, let's try and be break even on that first transaction, factoring in cost of goods and advertising cost. And our objective will be to acquire as many customers as we possibly can, because we know that building that customer base. A, we're going to make profit from, from them over the long run when they buy again. But also B, as a physical product company, one of the best things you can do to grow your brand is to get your product in as many people's hands as possible. They use it. They tell their friends. They take it out and about. They take photos of it, put it on social media. So that's the strategies with that. Well, this is important. Let's pause here for a second because yes, yes. this is a form of marketing, right? So absolutely. what I'm hearing you say is, hey, we've got these physical products. And maybe we know it's amazing, right? Because we know there's something about our product that's unique from all the other products that are out there. Maybe it's this cool widget or this cool gadget or this cool piece of clothing that style is really, really hip and hot. And we want to get it out to as many people as possible because we know that they'll love it so much that they'll start posting pictures of it on Instagram. 
and that will essentially create a buzz for the product. So while it might be a little harder for us to track the result, um, the word of mouth campaign will kick in and we will just make more money because we're not just acquiring a customer, we're acquiring an evangelist. That's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is going to become even more important with some of the changes we've talked about, you know, with retargeting being curtailed in the industry, um, you're going to have less um, control over that specifically. So you need to have your customer do more of it. And there are ways that you can, you can make them do that with exactly what you just talked about. Well, and I would yeah. imagine when you mail the physical, whatever it is to them, you should have things in the box that incentivize them to do these kinds of things, right? Sometimes the subtle suggestion of love this product, um, be sure to take a selfie with it or whatever, right? Those kind of things, or let your friends know, I would imagine could stimulate more of what you want. Absolutely. A, lo a lot of the best players in this space, they inject a lot of personality into their branding. So just what you mentioned about email autoresponders, uh, packaging, everything is designed to get people to interact with the brand, to engage, to spread it as well. And I think that with this, you know, because I, I get a lot of pushback on this, as you can probably imagine, you know, aiming for break even. People don't often like, like the sound of that. But if you run two scenarios, you have the exact same business and one insists on making, let's say, a 20% profit after advertising costs on all their products. And if you compare that business to exactly the same business who's willing to break even, the company that's willing to break even might be able to acquire 10 times as many customers because they can scale their campaigns that much larger than the other one. Because they have slightly more budget to spend is what I'm hearing you say, right? Precisely. Yeah. They, they can spend more per user and that can make a massive difference. Even 20% in terms of how you can scale can make a massive difference. And what will happen is the first business that wants 20% profit margin will probably have a, a better first six months. But the second business that is willing to go to break even will win massively over even a year, but definitely getting beyond that. One more thing I want to quickly mention on that is that when I'm talking about aggressive customer acquisition, one thing that um, I really want people to consider is aggressive discounts. Mm. Because aggressive discounts in this space stands you out from the competition. You're able to do that more easily if you're willing to break even. Um, and if you're just if your customers are just seeing tons of ads from competitors that are similar to yours, you can immediately differentiate yourself with a 30% discount, 40% discount, if you can offer it, of course. But that's just one point I wanted to, to mention. Perfect. Okay, what's the last category? Yeah. Last category is high average customer value, high competition. So these are typically businesses that sell information products like courses, consulting, coaching programs, these sorts of things. So you can deliver them often remotely. You're competing against a huge amount of people. But when someone buys your thousand dollar course or your $5,000 coaching program, they're actually, you know, it, it means something to your business. There's quite a lot of money there for you. So with this business, you've got the issue of standing out. And I'll explain how you do that in a minute, but you do have quite a lot to play with because your customers are worth are worth quite a bit. It's not, you don't have to be making a loss or breaking even on, on that initial transaction. So with these businesses, it is all about standing out from the competition. And the strategy that I would use in this instance is something called an omnipresence content campaign. I actually wrote a, an article for Social Media Examiner a couple of years ago that people can find, uh, searching for my name in there, all about this and the, the technical details of it. But it's it's that sort of campaign where you would have an ad stack. So you'd have, let's say, eight to 10, maybe 12 different ads running simultaneously to your target audience. You would have ads that tick various boxes. So some would be delivering value through content. Some would be showing the great work that you do, testimonials, case studies. Some would be call to actions. And the idea behind that campaign is you choose your target audience, you have your segment, and you advertise to those people consistently for weeks and months 
and you become the go-to person or the go-to company they want to buy from simply because of your consistency and you've shown up more and you've delivered more value. And by the way, folks, we have had a, if you go back in our archives, we've had so many other of Ben's peers on the show to talk about like some of the stuff he just mentioned here about how to use different kinds of ads together to launch and promote products. But I want to zoom in on the standing out thing. Yeah. Cause this is the part that I think a lot of people struggle with. Like how can we stand out when we are, whether we're selling physical products or whether we're selling info products, because you know, what does that mean exactly? Talk to me about that. Is that photography? Is that, what is it exactly? Like talk a little bit more on that. Yeah, there's lots of different ways you can do it. One of them, something I just mentioned in that in that fourth strategy there around the high average customer value, high competition businesses, is consistency. You can stand out by being the company that shows up more often than other companies. That is definitely a strategy that works there for standing out. But there are other ways you can do it, right? So particularly with the, the physical product type businesses, um, creative is always going to be a way to stand out. Expand on that. Sure. The return on investment that you get, provided you're going to run an ad campaign at anything more than, let's say, just a few hundred dollars, if you're planning to spend thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even more on an ad campaign, the return on investment that you get from hiring creative professionals, or but you may have them in, in-house, but graphic designers, video editors, who really know how to produce something eye-catching unique is, is undeniable, in my opinion. You, most Facebook advertisers should spend more money on that and they'd see better overall results. So that's that's one way to do it with creative and particularly applies to the physical product business. One of the best ways, and we've had tons of success with this and not enough businesses use this, is to include an influencer within the industry, within the ad created itself. Mm. That's another thing that can more than pay for itself. Someone doesn't have to be very expensive, doesn't have to be a mega celebrity, but someone that that industry will know, if they can endorse a product, and it could just even simply be their face on an image, Right. Um, that we've used before, it can make a huge difference to the results. That's a really foolproof way to stand out is to use that technique. Ben, this has been really, really amazing. By the way, I've seen that happen, like, for example, with Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, in our industry yeah. and other people like that. Sure. Some people have used me in their ads. <laughs> you always ask permission first. Yes. Always ask permission first. And pay them often, you know, a little bit, of course. You are going to frustrate a lot of people if you just put their face in there without permission, because that is not cool. Ben, this has been amazing. If people want to find out more about you and your agency and the things that you're doing, where do you want to send them? Yeah, best place is to head to our website, which is leadguru.co.uk. That's .co.uk um, at the end of that. And there you can find free resources. If you want to dig more into this um, strategy type stuff, there's a free resources tab on our website that's got a free training that goes into to more detail around the tactics. You can also find out about our services and agency on our website. So that's the best place to go. Leadguru.co.uk. Ben Heath, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and insights with us. We're better as a result of it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It was awesome. And if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 459. If you're new to the show, follow us, follow this podcast. You do not miss a future episode. And if you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I am at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world in a good way. See you next time. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today. 
and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.